Our teaching for this evening comes from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, through chapter 4, verse 7. This is God's Word. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are uh, continuing tonight in our study in the book of Galatians, and Uh, Hopefully you maybe noticed that uh, there are some common themes in the passage that we just read, a great deal that has to do with uh, being sons of God. And uh, as we continue our study, we're only going to look tonight at uh, verses 26 to 29 there at the end of chapter 3 and pick up with the first bit of chapter 4 next week, but at this point... We come to the climax of the book so far. Uh, Throughout chapter 3, Paul, he's been teaching, he's been teaching us that the whole Bible points to Jesus and even leads us to Jesus, not just as an historical figure or a great teacher, but as a savior. In other words, the gospel is God's story of how he keeps his promises, not because of us, but despite us. And last week, we saw the bad news of the gospel, how the purpose of God's law was to bring us to the end of ourselves in order to leave us at the feet of Jesus. And again and again, Paul has argued that the law cannot give life. It cannot bring righteousness. It can only show our utter lack of both. And so if God's law does its job, then what's next? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. That's what we're going to learn from our passage tonight. And what we learn is that we are, we are not given a new law to follow, but a whole new identity in Christ. So Paul writes, and I'm pulling from verse 25 and then into verse 26. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, that is to be under the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith. Paul is saying the first step to freedom is not to do something, but to receive something. He's saying that all our problems stem from living out of a false identity. An identity we are either running from or running toward, rather than the identity we are given by grace through faith in Christ. So what I want to do tonight is look at from these few verses, what is this identity? If the law brings us to Jesus, to his feet, 
and to what he has done to receive a whole new identity. What is that? So first, let's look here in verse 26. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, God, through faith. Paul is telling us a very straightforward truth. And it is perhaps one of the most precious and most important truths you can absorb in the Christian gospel. That in Jesus, you are a son of God. That in him, when you are united to him by faith, you are accounted, you're declared as a son of God. Now at first, Paul's language, it may be a bit off-putting. For example, why does he say sons here and not sons and daughters or just children? In fact, uh, you can look at certain translations of the Bible actually translate here uh, sons as children. And I actually think that's misleading and it, and it, it masks the radical message of grace that Paul is teaching us. The reason why Paul uses this language this way it becomes clear when we, when we understand what son meant in the ancient world. And one, one writer helps us to see this. He says that in most ancient cultures, daughters couldn't inherit property. Therefore, a son meant essentially a legal heir, which was a status that was forbidden to women in the ancient world. But the gospel tells us we are all sons of God. We are all heirs. And therefore, Paul is saying something that's quite radical and profoundly dignifying to both men and women, to any human being from any nation, tribe, or tongue, that the blessings of the gospel given in Christ are not just for some, but they are for all who are united to Jesus, who are in him. And therefore, we might ask, though, what does it mean to be a son or an heir? It means simply to be clothed with Christ, to put on Christ. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here, Paul combines faith and its visible expression in baptism to describe what it means to be a son to be a child of God. Baptism here, for Paul, it it gives us a visible, uh, or a visual aid, as as it were, of what it means to be a Christian. That you are clothed in Christ. And perhaps one of the best illustrations of this comes from Luke chapter 15. And one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, the parable of the two sons, or often it's called parable of the prodigal son. And in that parable, towards the middle of it, after the father sees the, the, the younger son who has squandered his inheritance and has gone off into a far country and ruined himself, realizes that he has made a mess of everything. Even as he is coming home, the father sees him far off, and he runs to him, and he embraces his son, And even as the son begins to, uh, he has got a prepared speech that hopefully his father might let him at least just be a servant in his own house, the father interrupts him. And as he interrupts 
the son, he cries out and says to his servants who are listening, he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. In other words, the father embraces his son and clothes him. And he clothes him with the very best robe. That would have been the father's robe. And the ring that would have meant you, you belong here. All of these emblems of the, the robe and the ring and the shoes, they're emblems of acceptance, of restoration and belonging. They were proof of the, of the son's true identity. That he is loved and he was embraced and welcomed by the father, not because of who he was, but precisely despite who he was. You see, to truly grasp your new identity, you must look at what you are putting on for clothing. See, to be clothed in Christ, as Paul tells us here, it can mean several things, but I just want to mention two. To put on Christ, to be clothed with Christ, it means that he's always with you. Think about it this way. You put on clothes every day. Where do your clothes go? They go go wherever you go. They're always with you. They're always with you. And the same is true for Jesus. Jesus goes where you go. To say that you're clothed with Jesus is is a metaphor of intimacy. You always have access to him. He's never going to leave you. He's always near. It's a metaphor of his presence. And that no matter where you are, however alone or isolated you may be or feel, to remember that you are clothed with Christ means he is present. He is present with you by his spirit. You're clothed with him. But it also means that you're covered, that Jesus covers you. He does for us what our clothes could never do. He covers your shame. He covers your nakedness. He covers you. Here, Jesus, to be a son of God, clothed in Christ, means that when God now looks at us, he sees us as his sons. Because he sees his son. To be clothed in Christ means that his life is now yours. All of his faithfulness, love, and obedience, his righteousness covers you. So now that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your shame and your guilt, it's been covered. In the righteousness of Jesus, you are now beautiful and precious. That is the truth. That's what the gospel tells you is true, even if you don't feel that way, or even if you don't think that's true. Paul is telling us this is true. And I want you to stop and think for a moment and ask yourself this question 
Who are you really? How would you answer that question? What would you look to to answer that question? You see, the gospel begins with who you are, not what you do. Think of it like this. Anytime you go to a party and you meet new people, what is one of the first questions you get asked? So what do you do? We are known by what we do. That's how life works. And I dare guess that's how most of you end your day. Men, most of you who are fathers, uh, perhaps coming home from a day of work, wondering, how did I do? What will tomorrow hold? Women, many of you who are, who are mothers, many of whom are also working all day, how does your day tend to end? Who are you at the end of that day? I think I, I'll speak just personally. If I have to answer that question, oftentimes, when I have to answer that, think about, well, who am I really? It's not a very pretty picture. The idea of being God's son isn't the first thing that pops to mind. Usually, it's the things that either I did really well that day and I feel really good about, or it's the failures of that day that I feel terrible about. And each day, perhaps several times a day, I will fluctuate from one or the other. Successes and failures of any variety. That's who I am. Who are you? How would you answer that? What Paul is helping us to see here is that God is far more concerned in this passage with who you are before what you do. And there is a way out of this tyranny of thinking about ourselves based on our own performance, our successes and failures. And it's that gospel freedom comes from receiving the gift of this new identity. And as one writer put it, we may seek self-identity and hope to find ourselves, but the hoped-for result never occurs through our own efforts. We seek ourselves but are finally found. One's identity is the gift of another's love. What I want you to hear from this passage is that who you really are, according to the Bible, if you are in Christ, you, your identity is the gift of God's love to you in Jesus. That's who you really are. And there really is no way to enjoy the freedom of grace apart from this. This is where it begins. This is where it thrives. This is where it lives. Is in this pronouncement of God over sinners that in His Son, you are beloved. Now, Paul, not only does he say about this new identity that we are sons of God, but this, this identity has enormous implications, not just for our own personal lives, but for our common life together as God's people. And so look in verse 28. Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the first thing Paul says about this new identity is that we are sons of God in Christ. But then he says, because of that new identity that we share in Christ, we are one. Doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Paul is not here suggesting that we're all identical and then and also interchangeable, but that we're all one in Christ. He's suggesting, he is not suggesting that our culture and race don't matter, or our circumstances don't matter, or who we are as created men and women doesn't matter. Rather, what he's saying is our new identity in Christ relativizes all the other self-identities, all the other ways that we might describe ourselves and carry around with us. Paul's point is simply this. I am a Christian before I am anything else. Now, the implications of this, I think, are profound. They're deeply challenging and they're glorious at the same time. Paul is saying that our gospel identity provides us the resources to tear down the barriers that separate people. Paul is saying here that in the gospel, we are given the resources to create a whole new community that the world has never known. But Jesus has come to make a reality among his people and for the world. And therefore, we are being told the gospel does away with every version of superiority and inferiority that arises from finding our identity in anything other than Christ. Those are the two options. We will either see ourselves as superior to other people in our differences or inferior. But Paul presents here that the gospel gives you a whole new way to relate to one another as children of God, as part of God's family, who share God as your father. Now, the reality is that we still live with all of these barriers, even in the church, especially in our society. But our new identity in Christ means that the church should be an utterly unique community in its ability to pursue what we already are in Christ that we already are one in Christ. And therefore, to live lives as children of God means to pursue our oneness, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of if we are in positions of power or powerlessness, regardless of if we're men or women, that the gospel is what defines who we are individually and collectively. So how do we pursue this? First, remember that we've been given, what we've been given in Christ far surpasses all the honors and advantages this world has to offer. That's what Paul is saying here. That in the gospel, we are given privileges and blessings, honor and dignity that far surpasses anything the world has to offer. Now, Therefore, we need to ask two questions. Ask yourself these two questions. How 
If the gospel is true, how can I look down on someone who is clothed with Christ? How can I look down on someone who is clothed with Christ? You see, the gospel undoes a superiority complex. It makes it very hard to look down on somebody when you remember that they are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. But another question to ask, why would I ever be jealous of anyone else when I am a son of God? You see, the gospel deals with our inferiority complex. It tells us that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we belong to God. And therefore, when I see somebody else's gifts and abilities or successes, and I find that envy and that jealousy begin to bubble up, what do I need to do? I need to remind myself, who am I? Who am I? I'm a son in Christ. Those are two questions that can help you to take the gospel and work it into your life and into our community However, let's pause for a moment and kind of admit that the truth is that we often don't live out of this new identity as sons of God. And as a result, we don't experience the depth and the richness and the welcome, not only in our relationship with God, but in our common life together. So what do we do about that? Let's look at verse 29. Paul says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What do we do when we find ourselves living out of a false identity? We need to remember who we are in Christ. You need to remember who you belong to, that you belong to Jesus. And what Paul has been telling us throughout chapter 3 is that The entire story of the Bible is about Jesus. All of God's promises find their realization, their fulfillment, their outworking in Jesus. And therefore, to belong to him means that everything that belongs to Jesus is now yours. It blows the mind. The privileges and the blessings that you are given in Christ. And so if you belong to Jesus, you are an heir to grace. Now what that means, is we, we've looked at previously in chapter 3, that Jesus became your curse so that you might receive his blessings. Jesus became a curse for us by dying on the cross in order that we could hear pronounced over us, in him you are sons of God. You belong to him. We are one in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. And here Paul is helping us to see that you are now part of a story that's much bigger than your life. You are now part of this great story that began way back in the early chapters of the Bible. And in the gospel, you're written into that story. And not only do you have this new story that encapsulates your whole life, you have a new destiny You have a whole new identity, a whole new destiny. And so, the Apostle John, in his first letter, he writes this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. But my guess is that most of you don't feel this way. My guess is many of us come in here tonight feeling like we don't belong. Perhaps we feel insecure. Perhaps you feel beaten down. And this, all this stuff about being clothed with Christ and a son doesn't connect. Well, that's precisely why it's here. You see, Paul isn't telling us this because we necessarily are going to feel it all the time. You see, you, you may not feel like it. We as a church, we may not look like it. But that doesn't change who you are or who we are in Christ. God has promised we will enjoy these blessings. That we will, be, we will enjoy Him as His beloved children. And therefore, our new identity in Christ means that we can be honest. But we can also be hopeful. It means we can grow in humility and confidence at the very same time. So let me finish with these words from 1 John again. He writes, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for these words, these words that tell us what is true, that give us a whole new identity, that help us to see that in Christ the old is gone and the new has come, that to be clothed with Jesus means that we aren't the same people anymore, that you have brought a whole new identity, a whole new destiny, a whole new status into our lives in Jesus. And Father, we confess though that This is hard to actually believe, let alone experience on a daily basis. And so we pray that you would help us to believe by faith what is true. And that in doing so, you would work by your spirit to persuade us in the depths of our beings. That despite how we feel, that despite how our days go, this truth that we belong to Jesus, that in Him we are your children, that we are one together, that we are clothed with Him, that those good truths would become second nature to us. Would you please do that? For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.